like, oh, shit, I forgot I even had that in my pack. Well, that's the craziest part, man. If Joe flicked my ear, I'd probably conk him in the forehead. Welcome to GafaroCast, everyone. I am solo today because uh, Frank has jury duty. I'm not sure how he got hooked up with that, but um, we'll see if he has to testify against anybody. Um, either way, I'm on the mic with my good friend, Greg Poole from Bow Junkie. Greg, what's going on? Oh, not a lot, man. Just got back from yet another event. We got about, well, I got to leave, I think, next Wednesday or Thursday for IBO Worlds in Seven Springs, Pennsylvania. And then that's a wrap for the bow junkie and for the year. And then uh, I just get to decide. I didn't draw my moose tag in Alaska, which was extremely disappointing. Um, Because obviously last year with the Bona, um, it wasn't even really, you know, they wouldn't allow us to go up there. And so uh, I was up there, I think, three years ago. Pretty sure that was about three years ago. Didn't get one and uh, was fully expecting to get the tag this year. So I went all in on it. And... uh, didn't get it. So I'll probably just do some whitetail hunting and all that kind of stuff. But other than that, man, just been, uh, just been killing it this year. There's just so many things happening in our space that, uh, that it's, uh, how to keep your head on a swivel these days. Yeah, no, that, that's a fact. Um, well, I would take you on a backpack hunt, but I have a feeling that there would be no more bow junkie or Greg pool. If you, uh, try to do a 14 day backpack hunt, the, you got too much square footage and you need too much food. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure the answer to that would be go F yourself. Um, and I, I think I established that long ago. And, and look, just for anyone listening, first of all, I don't pretend to be something I'm not. And what I'm not is Aaron Snyder. Let's just put it that way. Like, that's just the facts. I know there's a lot of people out there that that think they are. And I just know I'm not. So I don't even fake the funk. Uh, it's not that I wouldn't enjoy hanging out with Aaron and all that. I totally would. But the shit you do is just out of my league. So I'm good with it. I'd be talking a lot of shit, too. Uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> on that note, uh, what we're going to cover today, uh, we did a podcast on uh, Bow Junkie. Uh, Greg and I did. Um, and so I definitely go listen to part one of that. And we were, well, Greg, why don't you, why don't you go over what we talked about and what we're going to cover again today on the first one and then obviously part two. Yeah, so so basically something that had been on my mind for quite a while, a couple of years actually, was was not only the differences, but the growth index between lifestyle events, your tax, your local here in Arizona, your hunt to hikes, your bow fests, your basically your events where people go pay tournament level entry fees, you know, 140, 150 bucks, but they don't keep they don't keep score. Uh, there's a great tournament village. There's lots of extracurricular activities. You're shooting incredibly difficult shots for fun. It's basically for fun. All of it's for fun versus the competitive side where, eh, depending on your level, the fun has changed over the years. And so both of, you know, the ASAs, NFAs, IBOs, attendances is good. But the podcast that we did was kind of discussing kind of how one can benefit from the other. How can we learn to bridge the gap between say attack event and a competitive event? Because as you know, Frank said, which is totally cool folks, if you don't want to keep score, I have no problem with that. But like Frank said, um, he's just not interested in, in competitively 
um, shooting archery tournaments, especially on the national level, even if he's shooting with someone of his shooting ability. Um, and there's, let's just be honest, Aaron, there's way more people like Frank than there are people like you and me that want to keep scoring no matter what we're doing, whether it's throwing a piece of trash in the can or doesn't matter. We're always going to be betting. We're always going to be competing no matter what. Well, and, and yeah. after that first podcast, it was in, I went to a TAC event in Colorado after you and I did your the podcast on you on yours, and so I obviously asked a lot of questions and and uh, got a lot of feedback. You know, and obviously Frank, but I would say is kind of the standard hardcore hunter, uh, not a tournament archer. And, and Frank looked at me after we got off the podcast, and he was like, "Aaron, I've seen you with a tournament bow in your hand." Why would I enter the ring with Justin Gaethje? Why would I go try to swim against whoever, Mark, whatever his name was? Michael Why, Phelps. Yeah, Michael Phelps. Why would I do anything like that knowing I'm going to lose in comparison to saying, hey, do you guys want to go swimming at the lake? Right. And have a barbecue. Everybody yeah. wants to go swimming at the lake and have a barbecue and look at chicks in, in, in uh, bikinis and you dudes running around with their shirt off and have a good time and get drunk. That's tack. Okay. Right. And so... It made great sense, and I actually talked to Sean DeGray while I was at TAC, and believe it or not, he approached ASA five years ago, and they laughed him out of the room. They said TAC was bad for archery, where they would have no part of it. Little mm. did they know that the smallest TAC shoot would have 1,800 people at it, the smallest. Um, <sighs> that's, that's pretty crazy numbers, 1,800 at the small one. <sighs> and I, how, how I, many people miss in an ASA? would you say? I, I am made of comments right now. Um, <laughs> how, how many, it's, it's no surprise that that's the same organization that told Budweiser to kick rocks with a million dollar title sponsorship many, many moons ago. But anyway, um, how many miss what? How many people miss a target at an ASA, would you say, in a three-day weekend? Oh, um, uh, I would probably say total for a 1,500-person event. 12 and okay. it's so and it's generally always uh, a misset site or just a serious misjudge but i would say probably 12 okay so go if you get a chance go to the total archery challenge instagram page okay and i want you to count how many arrows are in that in that log in that tree on one target all right let's let's take a look cool. here Pulling it up, make sure. Hopefully, that wasn't on a story. Let's see. Totally. totally. I see a holy shit. Okay, that is uh, Look at that. the third, third target. We'll go to the third target or the third photo over. Oh my god! Yeah, there's a thousand dollars in arrows in that log. That's one, one, one target. Wow. And what I'm what I'm trying to convey here is people are openly, willingly winging arrows at a target. Losing tons of money for fun. Right. That is benefiting, as, as horrible as this say, every, Black Eagle, Easton, Victory, they all love tech events because a sure. lot, that's one target. And so, right. and people are willingly going knowing they're going to lose the majority of their arrows. Right. And this doesn't, you know, these are all just little tidbits, right? This is nothing, you know, nothing weird about seeing an arrow in a tree. My, no. my, my, my point is, is you can't convince, like I would have a hell of a time making Frank go to an ASA, but we'll go lose a dozen arrows at a TAC event without blinking an eye. You know, right. why is that? You know what, 
why can I go get 20 guys on a Saturday to go to shoot with me? And there's 40 that throw show up at the state championship, 40 shooters. You know, there's, I mean, there's a lot of questions that arise with that. There's, and, and, and honestly, a lot of probably unanswered and opinions and everything else. I mean, at an ASA, I would say the average is what, 13 to 1500? Probably. That's, yeah, that's close. Okay. And again, no arrows lost or whatever, but at attack, and we're covering a lot of the stuff we did cover on the first one, but at attack, there's no judgment, there's no score. There's Correct. no leaderboard at the end where you're the sorry bastard with the cone of shame down at the bottom level. You right. just go and shoot with your buddies and have a dozen arrows and then you get toted up to the top and then shoot your way down on a ski slope losing. Right. What's a dozen arrows cost now? Tax title and license average 200 bucks, 180. Uh, yeah. You're going to be with points and fletchings and the whole nine yards calling it 200 bucks is fair. So 200 bucks. And I would say on average, even for if 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 Dudley is honest and he and I and you go shoot attack from his stakes, mm-hmm. we're going to be down sixty bucks by the end of the course. Um, three arrows right. and twenty five targets, and people happily do it. So, can those things mix? Can an ASA be mixed with attack? I would say it would be very very difficult because they're putting shit in the way on purpose. When's right. the last time you saw a a shoot like the state shoot this weekend at the range I was telling you about American Bowman? The guys at American Bowman had to go move all the stakes because the competitive shooters were whining because there was shit in the way. I get that, right? As a competitive shooter, the last thing I want to do is wing a zero and lose. Right. But how? I mean, they would have to have separate special courses because. I, I, I'm not going to bring up names, but I can think of a few that stick out of hand if they clip a branch on the way to a target. In an ASA, that's got to be a clean runway. Well, right. And they're also shooting for $20,000. So so the dynamic changes. If if me and you are out there shooting and you shoot and hit the target and I'm six seven, so I shoot and I hit a branch and I lose a beer, I don't care. If... You and me are shooting, and it's and the prize is twenty grand. I ain't hitting shit for branches. I'm moving it because yeah. <laughs> totally different dynamic. And to to answer your question, you know, when was the last time I saw something in the way? I see things in the way at every single three D yeah, event yeah. I go to, doing bow junking, six, seven. and guess, guess what happens? <laughs> Someone either asks me because I'm not shooting, or a range official to go down range and move it. And guess why? Because they're shooting for twenty grand, they're not shooting just for fun. That there's not as much fun in it as you might think. They they're getting their fun more from the competition than they are the activity. The activity's fun, don't get me wrong, but they're competing for twenty grand. And I don't care who it is. You could take anyone from the tack, and if you were to put them on a target and say, "Hey, you hit this target, it's twenty grand," they're going to want shit out of the way. It's just 100%. And uh, hopefully, I don't be taken out of context there, rightfully so. But that right. is a big, I, and I, I, I talk to multiple people about this as far as the, when, when I'm hunting, I, I pr- or when I'm practicing for hunting, I do want things in the way because I want to, you know, I got to kneel. Shit's not, there's no runways in hunting. Well, unless you're antelope hunting. So do I need to deal down? Do I need to wing it? Uh, is my cast going to go over the branch? I mean, those are all things that 
when you're just going to biff an arrow into the dirt, aren't that important. But right. again, a hundred percent, Aaron, you got 20 grand and I got three branches out there and you got 20 grand for one arrow. Yeah. I'm getting a fucking weed whacker, right? Like I'm not going to sh- chuck a zero because of a branch. So Right. Exactly. And, and that's literally, you know, what it amounts to. And to, to your other point, um, yes, the, the, the intent of the podcast originally was to try to commingle these things. Sean DeGray has done a fantastic job. Whoever told him it's bad for archery and they didn't want to be involved five years ago is a retard. Literally a retard. They, they don't even get the E in there. They're a retard. That's how bad it is. Like literally helmet, you want a buggy, short bus, retard. Um, but that is tournament archery. Just to me, I mean, I'm a tournament guy. I'm a pro. I can say what I want. And they're retards. Um, tournament archery is so closed into their own little box that they don't want anything like that to come into play because they, they won't be able to control it. And so you remember shooting field archery, right? Oh, yeah. It's been a while, so, but I still remember. <laughs> so when you walked up to a stake, did you, as a compound guy, uh, as, uh, if you had a trad guy, if you had some youth and a cub and a young adult, did you guys all shoot from the same stake? Nope. Nope. So there's different courses. If you go to an ASA right now, they have now granted the ASA is pretty much getting taken over. They're 85% no, known distance now, but they have unknown courses and they have known courses. And generally speaking, people don't want to shoot both. That's it. And so the original thing with the podcast a couple weeks ago was how can we learn and how can we benefit from each other? Um, and the way we can do that is, is to basically combine the two in some way, form or fashion with the understanding that if you go to attack event and there's 2000 people, 2000 of those people don't want to keep score. But if we are able to develop this into a thing where they do have a competitive side, people can come shoot that competitively however they want. But if they're not being pitted against or measured against the people that don't want to keep score, it's two different customer bases. It's two different clientels. But one can certainly benefit the other. I mean, it's no different than, you know, if if you want someone to, to give you advice on, you know, how to put on your pack, how to properly load it, don't fucking ask me because I ask Aaron. Well, duh, Aaron's, Aaron's the guy for that. And it's the same way with archery. You have a lot of archery knowledge, but, but what would happen, and this is something I talked to, to Joel Maxfield from Matthews the other day, no different than Aaron Snyder showing up to, a, to an event and doing a, a, a seminar or a speaking engagement on your area of expertise. Well, just because you're there peanut doing butter. a seminar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, doesn't we're, mean. We're, we're going to talk about peanut butter. But, yeah, but you're, you're right. I mean, what you're saying is, a hundred percent true. If you could get those to intermingle, that would be the one ring to rule them all. Um, if right. you had backcountry hunters and then you had the Levi's and you and, and whoever uh, going over tuning classes throughout the day, or I Bingo. mean, that would, that would crush it. Exactly. And that's the, that's exactly what I told Joel is now look folks, I'm just going to be a hundred percent honest with you. Aaron can, Aaron can back this up. We most certainly, we as, 
as a collective. Total archery people do not want Levi Morgan showing up and shooting with them. It's going to be bad because he's a goat. He's literally one of the best shooters to ever live. So the so shooting together would be for fun, but his but someone like Levi or a Jesse Broadwater or whoever it may be, them coming to a total archery challenge would be an integration aspect where, like you said, they're going to do free uh, seminars on arrow building, on stabilization, on uh, shot execution, basically using the knowledge, just like you, Aaron, um, using the knowledge that you've uh, that you've gathered through your experiences to help disseminate that. I mean, how many of these tack people do you think would want to sit there for 45 minutes and ask questions or listen to to Levi Morgan, who has 75 national and world championships to his credit? Like, you're not going to hear it from anybody better. And so information, I think, is the initial bridge. Um, obviously, you know, we're not going to tell Sean DeGray, hey, you need to institute a competitive course into your total archery challenges effective now. No, 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 no. What we would do is use, because I'm a nerd. I'm a nerd. I'm a bow nerd. It's just what it is. I can tune a bow incredibly well. I wish I could shoot it as good as I can tune it. And I don't suck at shooting either, but um, when you can access the level of information from someone like myself or Levi or Jesse, from the information standpoint, it's no different than tapping into the information you have about your areas of expertise. And that's valuable. And it's especially valuable to 2,000 people at a total archery challenge that aren't necessarily privy to it. Because I would guarantee you, if you go to an ASA and there's 1,500 people, how many of those people do you think had their archery shop tune their bows? Uh, yeah, a lot. Well, at an ASA, not oh, a tech. at an ASA, probably well, probably ten percent at an ASA. Yeah, um, yeah not at a tag, it'd be ninety. Exactly, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's ex- what you. That's exactly the point. If you go to a competitive event, most of those people are t- most all those people are tuning their own bows. Um, you go to a tack event, most of those people, you know got their bows from the shop and the shop said, Hey, look, shooting a bullet hole through paper at point blank range. You're good to go. Well, you and me know that, that, that paper tear at point blank range is cool. Step back to seven yards and see what it does. It's going to be totally different because seven yards is where it tears the worst up close. You can get anything to do anything, but once you get back to about seven yards, then you're going to really see where the rubber meets the road and the paper tear generally speaking is not going to be the same. So using that information to bridge that gap is, is something, and look, maybe Sean DeGray is not interested. Maybe, maybe there's not a place for this, but that's why I say that, that we use the information um, that target archers have accumulated. You have accumulated it as well. We use that information as a service to, to test the waters and see if the people at the Total Archery Challenge are receptive to that information because we already know you're not going to send a bunch of pros out on the range to shoot with these guys because that's pretty much exactly what Frank doesn't want. No, other than fun and crap talking, but not, not in a serious way. And I think, you know, as I kind of dissected um, what you and I talked about, asked a ton of questions to different people, uh, some that had no idea even what the hell I was talking about with the questions, meaning, you know, it's kind of an odd question of, Hey, 
you know, what, what, why do you come to the tax and don't go to your local shoots? Just, and you know, what do you mean? And I'm like, exactly what I said. Did you go to any local shoots this year? No, they're kind of boring. Right. So if I, you know, one of the things that brought up and Sean and I talked about this, if, if, if Aaron Snyder was going to set up a shoot, what would be the one, what, what would be that, what would that shoot look like? And to me, um, you know, leaving money out of it, right? I'm agreeing with you 100% saying if we wanted to do money or not money, I would stay out of that portion. I think what would be um, extremely important is if you shoot on on Saturday, right? Um, or, or excuse me, if the shoot is Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, or Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, what you're talking about, there would be a pro-level tuning and how to set up a tournament bow one-hour block by Danny and Levi. There would be a backcountry backpack hunting seminar or a how to set up a trad bow with me and uh, Cody Greenwood, whatever. Yeah. Then there would be a how to fit a backpack portion. And mm-hmm. obviously, you know, I'm Kafaru, but there would be, you know, it would be open to the, to, to every, you know, it, it would be us and mystery ranch and stone. Everybody would be there to be looking at packs and learning. And right. At the end of all of that, there would be some giant bash barbecue fest at the end of it. Um, <laughs> but I think the tournament side of it would take care of itself, meaning if you have six courses, three are set up for the money and three are set up to go lose a bunch of arrows. Right. But that, I would say, would draw three to 5,000 people and probably have 250 to 500 per seminar or class. Right. And when you go to the ATA or a local sportsman show, how many people go to those elk calling things? You see like 20 there or how to set up a bow. There's 25 people that go like, it's not, you're not packing the house, but right. if you said, Hey, we're going to have Levi Morgan, John Dudley, um, you know, chance, uh, you know, whatever list it off. Uh, right. and then you're going to have the pipe hitting backpack hunters and you right. list those guys off. Hell, who knows how many people would come and not even shoot. Right. right. I mean, and just go to the booths and say, shit, I want that backpack in those boots, you know, or whatever. It, it, it's different. Right. I mean, it's just combining those two is doable, but it would be it would be a it would be a pain. But if it if it did happen, I think the numbers would be larger than anyone ever has ever seen. Right. Well, I mean, and like I'm looking at the total archery challenge uh, page right now and I'm looking at sponsors and. I see tons of sponsors that I'm familiar with seeing at your normal uh, events. But I'm also seeing sponsors that you never see. Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, Yeti, uh, Sitka. I mean, I'm seeing tons of sponsors you don't see at national events. I mean, I see Bear Archery. Bear Archery doesn't sponsor any target organizations. But... Here they are at Total Archery Challenge. And so there's no question that what is happening with these lifestyle events. And look, folks, I just coined the phrase lifestyle events. I don't say it in any negative way. I don't mean any disrespect by it. But literally, when you see these events, and and I'll just be honest, I've not been to one yet. I'm going to be going to one next year, whether I shoot or not. But I just want to put eyes on it is the people that show up to these events. And I mean, we could sit here and make jokes about, you know, a whole bunch of people running around and $700 in camo with 500 backpacks, you know, 
with a film crew or they're taking selfies with everything. I don't really give a shit about none of that. Um, I could care less. But the numbers they're drawing, the environment that they're creating with the Black Rifle Coffee booths and the, I'm gar- I guarantee you there's a beer garden there. There has to be. Uh, actually, yeah, inside, um, there, it, you know, cause it's right by either like the gondola or the, what do you call that? The, where everybody meets together before they go up on the lift. And so there's right. coffee and beer on the inside, depending on the time of day. Right. Well, exactly. And why, it's adults. While you're bringing that up and, and again, I, I, not shit talking, you're not going to get Jocko Willink, Evan Hafer, the Black Rifle Coffee Crew, whatever other decorated Navy SEAL special forces dude to go to an ASA because they don't get any chance to talk shit. Right. And they don't get to, you know, there's, it is a very dress, right. Dress. Um, oh, yeah. you know, there's a lot of rules of the road for a tournament where up there they haul ass to the top and, and, you know, on the, take the ski lift and talk shit and fling arrows at a hundred yards all the way down. Mm-hmm. That's going to get a crew of people that go to a, um, attack event that will not go to an ASA or an IBO for, for good reason. Totally right. two different perspectives. Nothing wrong with either one. But if I said, hey, Greg, I'm going to grab uh, and, and pick it, uh, Jocko, Rogan, Cam, and whoever, let's go to an ASA. Sure. I mean, about target four, they're going to be like, what? what? They get two minutes? Why does that guy have an umbrella? What the fuck's going on here? You know, they don't, right. yeah, because that's how it, uh, uh, okay, I got to, at the best of the best shoot that we just went to, we allowed tournament bows, which was a mistake. The one that Luke and I held. Mm-hmm. There was shooters that came in with their little palm pilots and umbrellas. And I mean, we were calling them Mary Poppins and shit. Now, did they crush everyone? Without a doubt. Frank had to shoot with him. He's like, dude, that one guy shot a 220. He was like you. And I'm like, well, I don't have a palm pilot, dude, but I, I get what you're saying. He was like, dude, that shit's stupid. Don't allow them next right. year. So we're kicking them <laughs> out because- Literally, right. as it's pissing rain, you've got hunters gripping it and ripping it like you would do hunting. And then you have these ranging, enter it into the Palm Pilot. They're deducting the umbrellas out. And it was like two totally different dynamics. One is competitive and one is not. I mean, all of us are competitive, but one is right. truly competitive. And don't get me wrong, if that was back in the day, I'd be sitting there taking the time I need to shoot a 12, where Frank... He just wants to kill it, right? He's not right. it big, big difference. So it, I, I mean, it's very interesting. Uh, you know, is there an answer to any of this? Hell, I don't know. But when you <laughs> when you look at it, how what are your local shoots? Uh, what do they pull in for people? What would you say for a local tournament? Dick, uh, twenty five to fifty. It's, if, if you're lucky, and you actually brought this up earlier, and it's a great point, something we definitely need to hit on. I don't want to talk too much shit on, on the local club here, but dude, it's like Obamacare. You can only join this club during one window in December. Well, and we know archery, I would miss that because I can't even remember my own fucking birthday. So that's a problem. Right. Like, like it, how do you have an enrollment period for a damn archery club? They have taken down the, the 48 inch backdrop, the, you know, the carpet arrow last targets like ready uses on the lower 14. They used to have those all around the course, actual field courses, and then they would just put 3D animals in front of them. They took down all those butts. So now you can't even go out there and put up field targets to shoot. Now it's literally, it has literally turned into a good old boy beer drinking 3D only club that you can only join 
at one particular part of the year. That's how. And so when when you asked about local shoots, that was something that that we discussed on the podcast uh, a few a few weeks ago. And the feedback that I got was 100 percent unanimous on why local archery clubs are dying and why local archery shoots suck balls now. And the number one answer is mismanagement by the club. The people that are running these clubs, like I said on the podcast the first time, they're literally a bunch of HOA Karens. Well, and, 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 and you can, there is a, a uh, I'm agreeing with you. Um, I, I am lucky enough to be involved uh, at American Bowman. That's the, the, the one we call the mountain course. And it's got, uh, you know, older and younger leadership. They're open, right? They're, when I say open, they're open-minded. Other than giving me and Luke shit for not being good adults, they are, yeah, let's do it. Let's figure this out. Yeah, let's get more people. What's it going to take? Let's, ha-, you know, they are right. very open-minded. You go to another, um, well, I'll just say Golden High Country Archers, for example. You got a crew of like a 13, uh, a mob of 13 that do nothing but bitch about everything. An old school crew, if they don't like someone that's bringing on an event, they complain or they'll, you know, nothing. It, it's all, um, they have their own agenda, right? there, And the agenda is not to grow the club, right? It's to be a pain in the ass. Where at American Bowman, that agenda is to get people into archery, have fun, and grow the club, what it should be. Awesome. The HOA thing, that'll make me punch a fucking baby. It's like, <laughs> hey, okay, I get it. We don't all get along, but uh, I can bring you thousands of dollars in giveaway prizes, and I can get the numbers generated uh, you know, whatever. So let's get our own personal shit out of this and let's let's move forward and, and build the club up. Well, I mean, that's why I think probably in, when it all shakes out, American Bowman will, you know, be one of the only clubs left in the largest club because they're forward thinking and most Absol- shot, most 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 are not. Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, absolutely 100 percent. And I think that that we're seeing that all the way up to to the ATA level. I mean, you see ATA putting in efforts to try to address the issue you see you know obviously organizations usa archery nfaa ibosa they all have state affiliate clubs they all have uh insurance they all do everything they can on a national level to help facilitate the growth and survival of these clubs but literally every single person i talked to i they didn't identify oh cities revoking permits or not being able to get insurance or can't afford targets no 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 Every and we're talking about hundreds of people were like the people that are running the clubs suck. They are doing it for their own interests. They don't care about anything else like the club here. You have myself, you know, after my sh- shoulder surgery last year, I'm fitting to get back into shooting. Gaius Carter is a pro who's finishing literally in the top five. Shot a 900 in Vegas. He's here. Nick Fisher from AAE. He shoots competitively. So we have a we are now building a core group of target archers here in this in, in, in that club took out the back backstops. Like, where are they? Why would you even remove them? I'm, I'm more than happy to get to order in a set of field faces, go out there and pin them up on the targets myself so we can shoot. Put your damn 3D target in front. I don't care. But they don't want, like you said, they don't want, they want it to have the growth and they want it to have everything they want it to have. Freaking garbage cans overflowing with beer cans. And it's just like that is not sustainable. And that is why we're losing so many of these local clubs 
And that is the reason, because when you and I met, we went to club shoots that had 300 people regularly. I, 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 (laughs) now my memory's not the best, but I remember the, the shoot before I met you, was it, uh, it might've been the Oregon state safari or I can't remember, but it was when I first met Cabe. Uh, Mm -hmm. so now this is, this is funny. Hopefully if Cabe listens to this, I'm sorry, dude, but you're short and you had really white teeth. So we (laughs) shoot and I get into a shoot off and I think Cabe and I were in first or in second. Now I had just come out of the woodwork, right? Just moved to Oregon and I, I get in a shoot off with Cabe and he's like five, six and his stabler lasers like six, two. Remember he had like a custom 41 inch doinker or some crazy bee sting or whatever. Yeah. I made him a 40 inch bee stinger. I, I, I shot the same one. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, except you're six, seven. So it looked a little awkward on, on him when he would put it on the ground, it would be, his, his string would be at his neck, right? When he would tee it off. So I don't know, you know, so I shoot and I can't remember. I think I beat him or he might've beat me. It doesn't matter. So the next shoot is at Cascadian Bowman. Right. And uh, there's a sign on the building that says home of the great Cabe Johnson and his posse. Right. And so I'm on the, the range sighting in and I look to the left and right and I'm like, who the hell is Cabe Johnson? And they're <laughs> like, that's that dude from last week that you shot against. Cause there was guys at the tournament. Right. At that time, there was probably 70 people at the site in course the day before the shoot even started. That was right. the excitement or the, you know what I mean? That's how, you know, that was a big, big shoot. And then I think that's the shoot I met you at. And there was probably, there's probably 300, 350 people at that shoot. Easy. Yeah. Easy. I, I mean, there was a, a pile because, you know, you can always tell, obviously, at lunchtime or whatever, there's people everywhere. How is that shoot now? I'd be curious because I know in Colorado, the numbers have definitely gone down since then. And, and, you know, what's changed? Why has it changed? Is it the leadership? Is it the dynamic of how has tournament archery gone downhill and fitness and uh, mountain hunting or whatever you want to call it gone up where guys are worried about flipping tires and dragging shit and and lifting weights and less worried about accuracy? Not saying they don't worry about accuracy, but you get my my point. Yeah, uh, well... First of all, the, the cat Cascadian Bowman is one of those clubs that is extremely well ran. Um, it's right there in Eugene, Oregon. And so it is, it is one of the clubs that's ran very well, like straight arrow bow hunters in Redding, like, you know, Darrington. So there are clubs around the country that are extremely Mechanicsburg. That club is, is pretty awesome. And so, so that, that shoot is still doing okay. <clears throat> I don't think that they get as many people. Um, as they did when we were there for a couple reasons. Um, you know, I was shooting that shoot religiously up until I moved, but I just think now people don't want to travel as far. I mean, I used to, I used to jump in my, we lived in Klamath Falls and we would jump in our car and drive to Fresno to shoot. Didn't even care. We, we would literally drive anywhere, anytime. And when we came to Eugene, you would have people from Southern California, middle of California, Northern, Northern Washington, Idaho. People didn't care back then about traveling to shoot, not near as much as they do now. And back then, there wasn't the expectation of payment. And I think that that has really affected things as well, is that in the tournament world, we kind of have this entitlement culture of, well, if, if I'm going to shoot, how much can I win? How much can I win? First of all, you ain't winning shit because you suck. So you know, the fact that you think there's a thousand dollars on the line, you ain't winning that. You ain't winning that. And so we have this, we have this culture. And so, you know, is that ever going to be reversed? I don't know. 
But a lot of people nowadays are on the can I cover train. Okay, if it costs me this amount of fuel and this amount of hotel and food and entry fees, well, can I, can I win enough to cover? I never said that to myself one single time my entire career. And I started shooting competitively in 2000. I never not one time went to an event and was like, all right, well, how much is it going to cost me to, you know, and well, if I win, am I going to cover my expenses? Never, not once. Never. And that's, that's the mentality that a lot of these folks have now. And you're not going to see that at a total archery challenge. You're not going to see that at a, a hike to hunt here in Arizona up in Flagstaff. You're not going to see that at any of those because those people are going there for 100% different reasons. But all of this takes place at, you know, starts, both the, the good and the bad, start at that local level. And so when we have clubs that are not forward thinking, when we have clubs that are not reading the room, you know, that starts to erode the people who are willing to come to competitive events and, and builds the people that want to go have fun only. Whereas we used to be able to do both. Yeah. No, I, you, you're right. I mean, it, it is, it's interesting. I mean, the, yeah, cause I, I hate to see, you know, local clubs go, go downhill. Um, but in some ways I look at it now cause I'm probably maybe a little bit more jaded or have seen behind the curtains. Some of the ones going downhill probably have, have earned that, uh, that spot and the ones going uphill have earned that one as well. Now I'm not saying necessarily that it's been mismanaged, but it may be misrepresented. Meaning if you've got, uh, the old school crowd that, that doesn't, um, maybe it doesn't want to cater to the younger generation or doesn't promote it on Instagram. Doesn't, you know, doesn't get the word out there. Right. You got to evolve. I mean, that's again, not to keep bringing up American Bowman, uh, Brie, uh, she runs that page. And so she's always uploading the range and the photo, you know, she's, she's involved. She's answering questions. She's doing what needs to be done to where there's a lot of outdoor ranges that may have a page, but there is no, uh, intermingling, right? There's, there's no traction, got to have engagement. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole thing to get people involved is get them engaged. Well, if you're not engaged, I mean, that's one of the things we talked about with tack. When's the last time. And I I've had Danny McCarthy on the podcast since we had you and I had that yours, uh, you know, at, When's the last time Levi or Danny turned on the phone on target three and broke down what bow he's shooting and how far the distance was? And it's their job. They don't have time for that shit. I'm not saying they wouldn't, but if I was shooting for 20 grand, I wouldn't be stopping each target. You go to attack. It promotes itself. There's constant engagement because honestly, if we were hiking to a target and you were sweating your balls off, I'm turning my camera on and going, Oh, here's Greg dragging ass. And then when I miss a target, you're going to film me like Aaron just missed. That's engagement. And people right. can, you know, the dude dragging ass is going to relate to you. The dude missing is going to relate to me missing. You right. don't get that as much on an ASA. Not, yeah. I'm not saying any negative. That is just how it is. Well, it's totally how it is. And you actually mentioned that earlier when you're talking about, first of all, I would love to be shooting any event, especially attack with Rogan, Jacko and Cam. That would be some of the funnest shit ever. But, um, but I'm out there with these guys when they're shooting you know, regardless of what organization it is, I'm, I've been in the top peer groups doing bow junkie now since 2016, ASAs, IBOs, NFAAs. And I'm sorry if, if you have never been watching a pro sport, whether it's football, basketball, baseball, whatever it may be, 
and you felt when it comes down to it, whether it's a three and two count, bottom of the ninth, that tension. When you are a fan and you have that tension and you're at home, like imagine what the athletes are going through. Same thing. I have been there with these guys. And even when I'm doing bow junkie, I am very, very respectful and understanding because I'm, I'm, I'm an archer too. And so I'm, I have to be very, very understanding of their thing. And the vast majority of them, they don't want to talk to anybody in between arrows, especially if they're in the hunt. They want to stay focused. Now, you have guys like Levi and Jesse and a few people who will have brief interactions with me. But I'm not sitting there doing a fucking equipment breakdown with Levi Morgan when he's one up at an IBO with four targets to go. That shit's just not happening. The best I can do is basically put the mic as far into my mouth as I can and try to golf talk if I'm doing a live feed to explain what's happening. Um, but it's simply a different dynamic. Um, a hundred percent. You can cut the tension with a knife. Um, you know, if Levi Morgan gets up there and shoots a, shoots an eight low or high, you literally can hear leaves falling from trees and hitting the ground. No Where one says it. You go to attack. My camera is in your face talking <laughs> shit saying, Hey, do you want a shovel to dig that arrow out of the, you know what? It's a totally right. different. I mean, honestly, my camera would have been in your face before you made the shot, but certainly after, right. well, what would be the anarchy if Levi did that? And I grabbed my phone and got up close. He'd probably grab my phone, throw it in the woods and walk off the course. And I'm like, so Levi, how was it to shoot a zero or a five? How is right. it to shoot with both hands around your throat? Right. You, you, you can't do that on an ASA. No, not at all. And so that's kind of my whole thing is from, you know, starting these conversations is, okay, I see what the tech is doing. And, you know, I talked to Joel the other day and he actually flew directly from Bowfest to the, to the TAC event to drive the trailer back. So he got there and you'll understand this. You've been to enough of them. Some of the other people can't or won't unless they have been in the situation. When you're at a trade show or you're at a, a, a booth situation, as soon as you hear a roll of duct tape go, everybody starts to break down their booths. It only takes one. Like literally, whether it's Vegas, ATA, uh, IBOs, ASAs, it doesn't really matter. If you're in a booth situation and it's Sunday afternoon and things are winding down, the first time someone hears duct tape or Velcro, <laughs> all hell breaks loose and everyone starts to break down. Joel said he got to the TAC event on Sunday afternoon at 2 p.m. And it was packed. Still, at 4 o'clock, they had to start breaking down the Matthews, Matthews booth, excuse me, because they had to move their truck by 6. There was still 100 people there at that booth trying to buy hats, trying to buy swag, trying to shoot bows. And the vendor area was still packed at 4 p.m. on a Sunday. Well, well, that let me, is, let me, un- let me add to that a little bit to put more perspective in this. I, I am a, a very good friend of Sean DeGrace. Kafaro is a very large sponsor of TAC. I had to beg him and I could only bring four people to drive me up in a vehicle to the top to start shooting before everyone else because the chairlifts are that booked. They could not fit me in on a chairlift. Not saying I'm Jesus, right? Or Chuck Adams or Levi or Cam, but I, I, I pull enough weight to where normally I would be like, hey, can I say, yeah, buddy, we'll get you in. He's like, you got to get here at six. 
You got to drive out at 615 and you can only have four people with you. And I'm like, fair enough. And he's like, don't ask anyone else to do this, man. And it's a huge favor. And I'm like, well, we can just jump in before everyone on the, on the chairlift. He's like, bro, I can't. It is so packed. It will cause anarchy. If I let Aaron Snyder and his crew go up in front of one group that, you know what I mean? That's already registered. That is how the lifts are that full all day, sun up till sundown. Right. That is, and that is something that obviously the archery community at large needs to pay attention to. The archery industry and outside of the archery industry obviously already is. Duh. I'm looking at the logo right now. Yeti on top, black rifle on bottom. Yeah. I don't, that's, that's important space. And so, you know, that is something, you know, and when Joel was explaining, he's like, dude, I'm trying to pack up this thing to move the truck before six and people just won't leave. And I'm sitting here thinking, holy shit, archery tournaments on Sunday afternoon are crickets because everybody's broke out. So the people that are coming to these lifestyle events, they have a whole different vibe. They have a whole different intent in being there. And that is something that I really think that we can learn from. And, you know, going back to the, to the local thing, I don't know what we can do, you know, other than basically take over those clubs. I mean, sounds like you have a phenomenal club, you know, here, I don't know, maybe me and Nick and Gaius need to get involved with the club and kind of take it over and get it back where it needs to be. So it's more welcoming because basically what ends up happening, and I've seen it happen a lot is when you get a, a, a club that's ran like an HOA, uh, eventually you lose the club because the people, the neighbors, the people surrounding it, the permits, it, it, it ends up not bringing in enough traffic traffic uh, or revenue or interest to remain uh, a benefit to the community. And that's usually what ends up happening. So, I mean, I'm all about that. Um, but at this point, I just need to get to a TAC event and uh, put, eye on, put eyes on it and see what... Uh, see what, if anything, and, you know, I talked to a few people at, at OPA, not the BOFES side, but on the OPA side about this, and they're like, and it's, you're not going to be shocked by this, but some of the comments were, oh, what, now I'm going to be shooting 120 yards over stumps and uneven footing? And I'm like, no, jackass, this doesn't apply to you, like, at all. And that's part of the problem we have in archery, is if Sean was to say, hey, we're going to make a competitive course. I'll guarantee you a bunch of the total archery people will be like, well, I don't want to shoot a competitive course. Right. Exactly. That's the point. You don't have to. There's something for everybody. And that is something that, uh, you know, hopefully as we maybe start integrating some of this thought process and have a conversation, maybe we need to jump on a podcast with with Sean and, you know, kind of talk to him about this and see what his thoughts are, because obviously he has the wherewithal and the forethought to get tack where it is. So he's open-minded enough that you could talk with him and say, Hey, here's kind of what we're seeing on this side. Is it going to bring him more sponsorships? I don't know if he needs more. Um, is it going to bring more interest to his events? It would bring different kind of interest to his events. And that's really the bottom line. No, I, I yeah, I agree. And I, it'll be interesting. And, and, and it may be, we do a part three of this with you, me and Sean. Um, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying is get him on. And the, the, you know, the three of us can have the conversation and really it's just about presentation. You know, uh, 
you know as well as I do the old saying that you can attract more bees with honey than vinegar. And it just seems like in our industry, everyone wants to throw vinegar around and wonder why there's no bees. And it's like, well, probably because your approach, maybe your attitude, maybe your lack of due diligence. Like when I call you or you call me about something, it's not like, you know, like when, when you called me about the to, uh, that you wanted to do a trad vein, you didn't call me and say, hey, let's make a vein for trad. And that's it. You literally said, hey, let's make a vein for traditional archery and, and here's what it needs to do and here's why. So you didn't just call and be like, blah, here. You literally did the due diligence to know, okay, here's, here's what I want it to be able to do. Here's why it needs to be able to do this, et cetera, et cetera. And it absolutely changed the game on that side. My yeah. approach, Sean, would be similar to that. Like, hey, look, man, we're not trying to transform your attack events into something they're not. Well, the ASA is a perfect example. It's now 85% known yardage. So how long is it even going to survive? How long is unknown yardage going to survive as a game and an entity in the ASA when unknown, unknown built it, but now it's completely being consumed by known distance? So we're not trying to change the attack events in any way, shape, or form. They are amazing. We're just wanting to have the conversation with Sean, the guy who runs it, Hey, think about this. Think about that. What, you know, and he may have already thought about it. Maybe he just didn't have, you know, the time or the avenue uh, or the resources to ask the questions and to integrate competitiveness or the competitive uh, knowledge base into his events uh, seamlessly. Maybe that's something that we can offer. Maybe he'll tell us to go pound sand. That's possible, too. Yeah, it'll be um it'll be interesting. And I mean Sh- Sean is one of the nicest guys you could ever meet. Um I mean truly a one of a kind, just a good person. I I do anything for him. But he's a businessman and he's a smart man. Uh you know, as far as obviously the the tack events are are proof of that. I right. mean, I think he would be he's not a bitter guy. I mean, I don't think he's holding it against the ASA that they basically told him to kick rocks, but I think it would take one hell of a presentation. Um well, you know how irritated I can be when uh, a company approaches me that five years ago didn't want to have anything to do with me. And magically now I'm, I'm known and um, moving product that they love me now. That right. answer is a no, it, like right. a definite. Nope. I'm not dealing with you because you shit on me before and I'm not going to work with you now. Sean right. is not like that. He's what's for the sport. Um, you know, what's best for the sport, best for what he's doing and you know, best all around. I think it would take one hell of a presentation by the ASA because quite honestly, Sean is crushing them in numbers. So it it would take, there would need to be quite a bit more than just a storyboard. We're docking a full on op order laid out of why and as there should be. Um, Well, first of all, it wouldn't be the ASA, the, the, the organizational uh, affiliation. If, if Sean was to be open to do this, it wouldn't be the ASA. I'll just put it that way. Yeah. Uh, Given, well, and, and I'll just be honest with you because when it, one fellow asshole to another, um, you know, we have the Sportsman's Alliance. It does as much good work as it can do. And your archery organizations, we have four archery organizations that are actually part of the Sportsman's Alliance and spend money and donate money to help le- legislatively. Uh, with that fight to protect our rights, our rights as hunters, our rights as outdoorsmen. Two of those organizations are not part of that. 
So as far as I'm concerned, if, if Sean was willing to have this conversation, at least hear, hear what needs to be said, the, the organizational affiliation wouldn't be the ASA because they're not part of that. And so um, I would want to make sure, I mean, you got RMEF on here. You got, there's a lot of great people and great organizations, companies involved with this, all pushing for the same thing. Grow the sport, get their brands out there and have a good time. So if Sean's willing to at least entertain this, number one, I'm not sure, I'm not 100% convinced that there would need to be a, a organizational affiliation. But if, but if that was something that would benefit both, both parties, then it just wouldn't be that organization. It, it would be another one. But, uh, you know, I'm cer- certainly willing to, to have that conversation. Um, I don't care about anything other than learning. And that's kind of what, what I've seen from Sean. I talked to Sean, well, it was a year and a half ago when Monster Energy was really looking at getting into this space. Didn't end up working out. But, you know, I've talked with him a couple times, super nice guy. And he does always seem like he's willing to listen. And that, for me, that's really all, all I can ask for from someone in his position is, hey, look, not trying to change what you got going on. You are killing the game. But there is another aspect to to shooting a bow that we might be able to bring into play that would benefit his customer base and that's that's what it boils down to no and i think you're well i don't think i know you're right it would almost i i said asa obviously just to get the point across but i think you're it it would almost be better to have how would i want to put this without pissing off everybody on the planet Uh, make it a tournament event without any affiliation. So there's no, there's no, uh, you're starting off with a clean clean slate, so to speak, right? It's not a a three letter abbreviation attached to TAC. It's just a, and here's the money shoot portion of it. Um, Absolutely. And, and there would be guys that normally shoot in the TAC that I have no doubt would pay to shoot in the, especially with different classes. Like Mm -hmm. again, if everybody that's shooting in the bow hunter class, for example, has a maximum of a 80 yard target, seven pins. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's different than an ASA. Um, slightly, slightly farther than the average yardage, but mm-hmm. we're all shooting from the same stake. You know, right. what I, and you get what I'm saying. It would be a twist to it, but it would be a new twist that I think, well, I, I to, to me, I would have zero issue if I had a compound bow and somebody said, hey, we're going to go shoot a tournament. There's a first place is, let's say for Bowhunter class, a $3,500 payout, which mm-hmm. usually has the largest numbers is the Bowhunter class. Uh, caveat here, 80 yard max. Right. Yep. I would be all over that because I am a long distance guy. I'd be like, I would set up a compound just to shoot the damn thing. Exactly. So and different, yeah. but the same. Yeah. And, and I would tell Sean, like, hey, look. You know, if this was something that you wanted to entertain between myself, Bo Junkie, Aaron Snyder, probably Levi, and the our our uh, our peeps, our we circle of trust. A, yes, we could slang a lot of meat behind this. Like we could slang a lot of meat behind a competitive course at the TAC event, and it would be no different than it is now. They. They're not going to have to babysit it. Competitive people, you know, look, pen, pencil whipping is a thing anywhere and everywhere. So that's going to be what it is. But 
But if this was something that, that Sean would entertain, between the group of us, we could throw a lot of meat behind promoting it, getting it out there. And that's my whole point is it's using our knowledge base to benefit the Total Archery Challenge current customer base and then also allowing competitive archers to come to what is easily, easily the most badass archery vibe and entire festival lifestyle event going in the whole world right now. It's TAC. And so being able to, to, to bring those together, I think, would be a huge, a huge win. It's just a matter of, you know, pitching it to Sean in a way that is, uh, you know, not invasive to what he already has going on and uh, is, a, is, is an easy fit. But like you said, he is a smart dude. And I think uh, when properly presented, he, uh, you know, he will look at it. And that's, that's all I could ask. Yeah, I think it's a worthwhile conversation and something I would be definitely into. And again, like right now, there's an orange cone uh, way out there. Like uh, there's some 65-yard raccoons, a couple 80-yard turkeys. I can't remember. They were, I shot the easy course with the stick bow and it still sucked. And that was the loophole course. That was the uh, easier one. But if sure. you took and you had, um, you know, obviously the cones are so people don't have to drive in for me and stakes. I, I get that. But right. if there was only two courses out of the five that were competitive, mm-hmm. that's not that many stakes. And obviously, like you said, slinging meat behind it, there would be people out there that probably have Greg, uh, you know, you, you would be behind the, the range finder and looking at the target saying, yep, nothing in the way. Pound right. a steak, got four little cronies pounding steaks in. And there would be four stakes, right? It, not that difficult. Um, you know, men's pro, bow hunter, trad, uh, women's, women's, whatever, the normal classes. Yeah. Wouldn't be that bad, big of a deal. And I think it would sway some of the people that normally shoot tack to shoot the competitive portion. And it would draw in the Levi's and the Danny's and the Broadwaters, uh, the Boboffs, the whoever's. Um, and a lot of intermingling in between there, because as you know, you get you, me, Levi, and that group, there's a lot of shit talking. I mean, with <laughs> Levi, he doesn't cuss, so there's a lot of fudges, but right. Right. He is, he's good at shit talking. So, oh, absolutely. And that they would, all... Go they all are. Well, it'd be good for, uh, you know, you get down to, you know, to where all the booths are and you, you got a group of guys sitting there for people to come up and ask questions, whether it be about hunting or tournament archery or everything in between. I, I think it would be good. Like you said, if it was presented to Sean accordingly, I think he would be all over it. Absolutely. Let's uh, let's uh, and by let's, I mean, you uh, set that up. Let me know when uh, when you want to do it and I will. uh I will gather as much information as I think is pertinent from my side, and uh, I will certainly be more than willing to participate in that because I think that's I, – I, I literally think this, this opportunity right now, Aaron, and you know as well as I do, archery, tournament archery has been stuck in the same box since you and I met. Uh, you know, in some organizations, the box may have got bigger. There, there may be more money at play in some regard or the other, but – in tournament archery, we still bathe in our own dirty bathwater. We don't have we don't have Yeti as title sponsors for tournament archery. We don't have any of that. So this project that we're talking about right now, Aaron, this may be this may be because there's how many tack events are there? Eight, six? Yeah, six. Sit, no, hell no. There's more than that now. Now there's he's gained. I think there's up to thirteen now, and two of them in Utah. But they're they're growing. It started off yeah. with one, then it went. You know. But now there's there's 13, I think. Yeah, so there's 10 on the website. 
So this may literally be the kick in the ass that target archery needs to get out of their own fucking way. Yeah. Just to be honest. And, and teaming or, you know, growing something within a successful, an already successful platform. is probably what it's going to take. So, yeah. Well, I'm sure you are going to get a lot. We are going to get a lot of feedback from this podcast. I don't think it stirred up the hornet's nest more crank people's (laughs) brains on to say, Hey, maybe we need to change or maybe, you know, something, something needs to, to change, uh, you know, overall. And again, if they set this up for like, let's say on the trad side is as small as the trad community was, it is getting bigger. Mm-hmm. If there was a money shoot for, for trad, for example, and there's two classes, one's bare bow, one's hunting bow. Mm-hmm. That's a large pool of people um, that are, that are going to enter that, that, that were pretty much unknown or discounted before. And then you have the bow hunters, uh, you know, just the straight up five to seven pin, you know, the normal Joes. And yeah. then you have the tournament archers. Man, I mean, if you already had 1,800 to 3,000 people showing up for attack event, you're adding five to 800 easily to that, uh, I if think not so. more. Yep. Well, and mainly because like right now, when you get done shooting a target archery event, other than Vegas, <clears throat> Vegas has 4,000 archers from around the world, but Vegas is in Vegas, so that doesn't really count. But for most of your other events, when you're done shooting for the day, whether it takes you one hour or three hours, fuck else you going to do? I mean, (laughs) you're not going to water parks. You're not, I mean, what what else are you doing? You know, IBO worlds next week, they'll have a beer garden at seven, at uh, seven Springs. It'll be great. But generally speaking, that's the thing about what total archery challenge has done is when you're done shooting, you're far from done. For the day there is a ton of stuff for you to go do you can go harass john <clears throat> you can go to the black rifle coffee stuff there's just a ton to do and that is something that competitive archers other than vegas are not accustomed to that's something that they're not used to experiencing and that's the goal yeah well i will hook that up i'll, I'll get you and sean and uh myself and uh whoever else you tell me on a text and uh Luckily, Sean likes me enough to where that at least get us in the doorway to have the conversation. And uh, let's say, like we talked, maybe it's only three of the 13 tacks. Oh, yeah. That's a good start. I mean, you know, the ones that can handle the numbers is what I'm getting at. You know, not all of them can probably handle, but Sean will know what can handle it. Well, and let's be honest. um, Anything in in the Park City Snowbird area of Utah, there's a shit pile of competitive shooters there already. Like mm-hmm. bunches, you're going to get Tim Gillingham will be there in a heartbeat. So will back to back Vegas and indoor nationals champion, Kyle Douglas, you'll have a shit ton of people that are already there, but they'll, they will definitely show up Colorado, you know, as well as I do, what's the, what's the competitive, you know, realm look like over in Colorado. Big I mean, Scott. it's, it's, it's the same thing. And, and, you know, a good example, uh, Randy Omer, Bill Pellegrino and some other guys all came to the Colorado tech. Now is Randy as competitive as he once was? No. Is he right. still going to draw a bunch of little goofballs like me saying, Hey, what's up, Randy? Well, yeah. I mean, there's, well, yeah, it's Randy Omer. I mean, one of the greatest to ever come and you have the, the old school and the new school, you know, in continuity and intertwining, intermingling. Yep. I mean, what more could you ask for, for a guy that's 22 years old, that's read about 
you know, uh, Randy Omer and, and uh, a Levi Morgan or, or currently reading about me or someone else all mm-hmm. in the same house. That's very powerful. hundred percent. Cool, man. Well, make that happen. I will await the text and uh, we will get that scheduled. But man, I, I appreciate you having me on today. I know that uh, you got a lot of stuff going on over there at Kafaru and uh, I appreciate it, man. I, I knew that you were the right person to start this conversation with because you had the history in target archery. You're, you still support target archery. I mean, Kafaru still supports and is supporting target archery. You guys support Bow Junkie and, uh, I mean, you guys are obviously involved with Total Archery Challenge, so your vision and your experience are kind of coming together right now, and uh, I think that's I think that's a good thing. So I really appreciate you uh, not only taking the time to do another podcast like this, but being willing to see kind of the vision of, hey, there there might be a diamond underneath this turd. No, for sure, and uh, no, I'm happy. I'm happy that you struck up the conversation and you were on here, and I mean. The thing is, at the end of the day, we're all in this together. And we don't, if we don't start rowing the boat in the same direction, the boat's going to start falling apart. So this is a good start, man. So I appreciate it. 100%. All right, buddy. Thank uh, you for yeah. having me on. No problem, man. Take it easy. Everybody go check out Bow Junkie.